Hey everybody and welcome to Don't Quit Your Day Job or or maybe you should quit your day job. I guess it depends on your personal situation. I don't want to tell you what to do. Mark, what do you think? Should people quit their uh, day job? Probably not. <laughs> not if they want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, welcome back. We are still talking with uh, guitarist uh, extraordinaire, maybe the most famous guitarist in LA. Is that is that accurate, Mark? <laughs> oh, that's yeah, beyond beyond not not accurate. <laughs> um, yeah, we're talking to Mark about his uh, experiences moving out to LA in the late '80s and living the life that some of us uh, dream of. Uh, not not understanding fully everything that's going on so that's that's why we're doing this podcast so that people can can hear the stories because the stories are great so mark to start off with here i would like to take you back to six months after you arrived in la so you arrived in september 87 right yeah september 1987 okay so when was your first show with mariah and where was it november of 87 at the roxy Okay. In, Opened in, up Saturday night. It, what, what day of the week? Sorry. We played on a Saturday night. We did a nine o'clock slot and we paid like $1,200. We probably sold like 10 tickets because it was a pay to play <laughs> venue. And we found out, hey, if we can play the Roxy, we'll do the pay to play because we'll sell the tickets. And eh, we, we didn't. So, so, so that's what I want to ask you about. So how many, how many shows did you do in that first six months? Because it was pay to play back then, right? That's what, if you wanted to play one of those places on sunset, you had to pay. Yeah. But there was other ways around it that we figured out. So there was uh, this guy named Rich Bartle, who's still in the business, pretty well known, like a uh, tour manager, uh, like lighting guy. He does a lot of stuff and he had a, a thing called jet set. So it was every Sunday night. It was at Gazari's and Basically, the gear was on stage and you got to get up and play like three to five songs. Basically, you got like a 10, 15 minute slot and everybody played it. I mean, from Warren to Bang Tango to all the bands that were in that day. And somehow we became friendly with Rich and we got in and he let us play and we played probably every Sunday. So we did we did do a bunch. I mean, you know, sometimes we went out at one in the morning on a Sunday. Sometimes we went on it, you know, eight, sometimes we went on at 11. So, you know, we, we did get some good slots and we did what well, we did play that a lot. So, and that was not a pay to play deal, but we didn't get paid either. So. Okay. So, so taking that out of the equation, how many times did you play in that first six months? Oh, uh, um, maybe three. Okay. Without the, without the jet set. But if we count the jet set, probably like eight. <laughs> Okay, and and so you guys were well rehearsed. We already talked about you living in a in a tiny one bedroom and rehearsing in there and doing all of that that crazy stuff. I was talking to my wife about that, and I was just like, "Yeah, even for what I've done, which is like live in a van with three other German guys and showering at truck stops, which was fun. I I don't think I could live in a place long term. That's just nuts." Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but it was like, we didn't really have any other choice, you know? We were broke, and we needed to rehearse, and we didn't have anywhere else to go, and all we really had was each other. We were pretty fresh off the boat, right. you know? And we were we were making friends when we go up to the Strip, and I mean, I, I, right away, we click with other bands and other people, and our neighbor was really cool. He ended up being in the video for 18 in Life, the Skid Row song. Oh, wow. He, Ricky in the video, and he lived up the, upstairs from us, and he used to come over and hang out at our rehearsal, and... Still, still Facebook, Facebook friends with him. <laughs> is, there, is Ricky the guy that dies in the video? He's the one that shoots his friend. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. Classic. That was his player. They had a band called Broken Child, I think it was. I can't remember the name, but something children. And he, he was the singer, and that was his guitar player. And he took off one weekend, and we were like, where were you? And he's like, I was in a new Skid Row video. We're like, yeah, sure, sure you were in the <laughs> video. And then he's like, dude, come up to my place, you know, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Okay. World premiere. There he was. <laughs> we were like, I guess he really went and was in the Wow. Okay, yeah. so uh, back to the, the six-month thing. So at that six-month point, you've played some shows, and, and you've got sort of an in here, and you're doing okay, and your band is well-rehearsed. At that point, were you already thinking, okay, this is going to work? Or were you... So I guess the question really is, were you still feeling positive after six months? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't... Even when our bass player left, we had other options for bass players, and everybody was, the three of us were really gung ho, and we knew if we found a bass player that was, we we felt really good about what we could do, and it was about six months that the bass player quit because it was March when he left and went back, and we had like a fill-in guy for a couple months, and then we met Paul Barrett Sharkey, um, and he was super into the band, so we knew we had four guys that thought we could make it. We had what we needed, and that was the band that almost signed the record deal that we okay. were like, I was picking up my house and, and Jeep and <laughs> <laughs> your Jeep. Um, yep. and so did you have a plan? Did, were you guys thinking, okay, this is the next thing we have to do. We have to play this club or we need to talk to Ben Gazzari because he's really old and maybe he'll help us. Or, you know, what was the, what was the process there? Well, it's Bill Gazzari. Oh, it's so Bill. Don't, Sorry. Don't get <laughs> <laughs> down. Um, I tell you, honestly, like pretty naive, you know, I mean, we were guys from Connecticut and like I'd read books and stuff on how to do things. And a lot of the books I read were like, oh, you got to start a business and have a business model to get a band go, blah, blah. And it just like glazed me over. So I thought the way I'm going to do it is I'm just going to meet people. So we would go out to flyer every night. We'd go to the bars three, four nights a week. You know, I mean, we were we were young. So we had fun going out and being social and kind of all the connects and then anything that's really happened for me in business has more been about somebody I become friends with or social with or jam with one time and we had a connection, you know what I mean? More so than, than how do I get this band signed and what do we do next? You know, I was just hoping to make enough money to live doing what right. I wanted to do, you know? I mean, to right. be a rich rock star was the dream, but the goal was really to just be a musician, you know? Right. Okay, so now let's jump to Bang Tango. You're touring in Europe, and I think it's hysterical that you experience the highest of highs and the lowest of lows on <laughs> one, one tour. So let, let's go, go through that again. You played huge shows in England, and then you ended yeah. with, with nothing, kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah, like... like we, we played in this city called Nottingham, you know, uh, Robin Hood, famous kind of deal. So we pull in there in the tour bus and we pull up to the hotel and there's like kids waiting for us to get off the bus. So we're signing autographs. They're like yelling for us and everything. We go in there, we go to our room and then we're, you know, we're all hanging out in our rooms. We're like, yeah, let's go check out this town. You know, they're supposed to have some cool shops around here. So we go out in the back, we're walking around. We notice people are following us around. So we take pictures, we're signing autographs. I'm like, this is crazy. We do the show. It's sold out rock city. It's like a big club there. Everybody fucking everybody's played there and it's, like to sell it out is really cool and the fans are going 
apeshit. And it's like crazy. Like I bent over to do like the bow at the end and people, girls are like pulling my hair and pulling my arm and I'm trying to walk off stage and I'm getting pulled into the crowd. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, this is rock star. I feel like a rock star. How cool is this? You know? So then cut to like a week later, we're in Germany on the last show of the tour. And not only does nobody show up, but a German shepherd shows up and basically sits and watches us. And that's like our, our, that was basically our audience for like our last gig on this tour. So pretty much high to low in no time. And then we had a 24 hour drive to get to the airport and fly home on like a, you know, 10, 12 hour flight. So it was just like, it was crazy. So was the show good? Did you guys, did, you know, were you guys already like sorted down about the attendance there? Um, compared to, I, I mean, it's just got to be hard to come from a great show in England to an empty show in Germany. So were you, were you guys like, no, we're just going to play a pro show anyways, and then we'll get out of here and everything will be fine? Or were you down? I think some of the guys felt that way. Like, we got to play a pro show, even though there's just a dog sitting here who, who walked out on us, by the way. He was, you know. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't digging it? He wasn't. He, you know, just walked out. You know. <laughs> Well, I think that the writing was on the wall because the England shows went so well. And our last show before we left was in like South something like South beach or something by the ferry to go over. And not many people showed up and we were pretty shocked. Those guys were like, wow, there's only like, you know, 200 people at this show. And it was like a 600 seat place. And so we went over to France and we played and not many people went to Belgium and played not many people went to Amsterdam and played not many people, but there was people, but it just wasn't many. But then that last show at the German French border was just like nobody. And then a dog. I mean, Paul Diano did open for us in Belgium, which was really cool and getting fun to hang out with him and getting some Iron Maiden stories. And yeah. all he played was the, the records he, he was on. So that was cool too. But, that's yeah. cool. I, those are two great Maiden records. I think anybody that's into Maiden really, really digs those records. They had like a punk rock energy to them, more than, oh, yeah. certainly more than than later stuff. And how was Paul Diano? Was he like cool or was he rock starry or what? He was super cool, super talkative, drinking Jack Daniels. He said he loved Bang Tango, and I mean, he opened for us, which was crazy. So we went out and watched him. Oh, you yeah. know, wow. and it was really cool, really cool. So. So did you guys like talk about the show afterwards? Did you dissect it or were you really just like, let's just get home and we'll figure everything else after? So if memory serves me correctly, a couple members were not happy with how the attendance had been waning and they'd already been like kind of not very happy with the band stuff because basically what happened was um, MCA paid for the third record and then after they received the third record, which was probably the best of the records they did, I mean, it came out great. Howard Benson produced it, and that Mark wrote amazing songs on it, Mark and Joe, and it, it was really good. And I was actually honored to join the band for that because I was like psyched about some of those songs. They were like heavy and powerful and timely, you know. Um, but the band got dropped by MCA, so everybody was bummed. But then Restless Records, who had like Steve I, a bunch of bunch of cool acts you know they they picked us up we actually signed a record deal with them and before they could even release the record mca sued them so they had to drop us so we basically as a band were kind of screwed at that point but wait music wait, for wait. so mca sued restless so they were like yeah we don't want this band but also you can't have them either exactly what you just said <laughs> oh my god 
exactly what you just said. Yeah, how crazy is that? You know, and here I join this band that has a deal with MCA. I'm all psyched to to be in this band. Then we get dropped, and I'm like, well, I'm still in the band. We're, you know, guys seem like they still want to figure this out. We sign with Reckless. I mean, I remember that rehearsal. Everybody was like, we're back, man. You know, and this label was so psyched to put the record out, and we're like, and I'm like sitting back going, I just joined this band, and it's going to be like super successful now. Holy shit! I'm like kind of tripping out, you know. Then it gets dropped, but we had really good management at that point. Ed Gerard, who like he was like worked with Shep Gordon and had Alice Cooper. He has Van Morrison and Cassandra Wilson and a lot of acts. And Bang Tango was his. So when we got dropped by Restless, he was like, "I want you guys to stay busy." So he had that tour, and he's like, "The record's coming out on Music for Nations. It'll be out all in the UK and Europe and in Japan. So we'll go to Japan eventually." And I was just like, "Okay, I'm I'm down with this." Yeah, so that's cool. Red- so, so, um, who who financed the tour then? The tour that we're talking about, Music for Nations did the record label. They okay. they allotted the money, and I mean they they the record did pretty well. Like I mean, we went to the big mega store there, their tower, or whatever it was, and as we walked in, there was a huge bang tango. To us. I was like, we if it was these days, I would have taken pictures with it because we were tripped out because we were like, God, we sold out the Astoria and then we walk into the store and there's the album everywhere, you know, and it's like, how fucking cool is this? You're in London and seeing this, you know, and and they took, they took great care of us. They put us up in good hotels. We had a nice tour bus. It was just like, I was like kind of floored. I was like, wow, I walked into the situation and it was my first tour. So everybody's like, you know, greeny, green boy, you know, carry the bags, carry the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so did you get dropped and then uh sued then restless got sued before the tour or was this after this was before okay so basically management didn't want us getting down on the fact that we didn't have a record deal in the states because we had one overseas so their idea was you go over there and tour and while you're over there we'll figure out a way to get the record released here get you guys on the road but they never never could mca would not budge they wanted they because they put in a lot of money like 1.4 million or something like that into the band and basically they're like we want to recoup our money that 1.4 before we give the band away you know so basically the only way to get out of that stuff is to break up as a band you know is to not you name and release anything and once the band goes under then you can basically you don't have anything and then you can get back together and and do it and basically that's what the band did in a way but that's for a later time (laughs) <laughs> right. So you, you get back to the States and okay. Yeah, nope. go ahead. So, so the descent of the band was basically the last show in London, the bass player. Oops. I didn't want to say that, but well, a couple of the guys in the band just could see that the writing was on the wall. Like as we go to, as we're leaving the UK to go to the rest of Europe, it was like, there's not many crowds. Like they didn't promote the record over there. And, and those guys really felt like they got dissed in the rest of Europe. So they were pissed while we're doing those dates out there because nobody's there. Nobody knows about the record, you know, hardcore fans, people like Kerrang magazine or whatever. So there was people there, but it wasn't like they were expecting to be, you know, exalted rock stars. Like we kind of were treated in England, you know, we go over there and it's not that way. So by the last show, having a dog in the crowd, they were kind of at each other's throats. So I remember that 24 hour ride with a lot of silence because guys were just pissed and pissed at each other. And then basically we get to the airport and our flight is after we drive 24 hours straight, our flight is delayed for like 12 hours. So we end up like 22 hours at the airport after driving 24 hours. Then on the flight home, those guys basically just decided without any fight or fanfare that, 
fuck, fuck this. I don't want to do it anymore. So, so how, how many of the guys decided that? Because it's a five-person five band, right? Yeah, basically the bass player, Kyle, Mark, the guitar player, and Tig all decided they just were over it. They don't want to do it anymore. They're tired of the travel and they're not into the music and you know obviously we're not getting a record deal in the states because the time we were over there you know we talked to the management because the management was on the road with us too basically they had a the tour manager was from our management company he'd yeah. talk to them like oh guys you're getting close with this other company they're figuring this out you know they're working with amago they're working with with roadrunner they're trying you know like they had all these names and everything but by the time we were flying back he's like yeah there's no deal we can't get you guys a deal so we'll figure something out you know so, go ahead. If you, I know I kind of cut you off. But no, I wanted no, to... that's okay. Um, so, there's no uh, mobile phones, right? You don't have an iPhone on a 24-hour drive and, and flight back. So, I mean, you have nothing to do. You can read newspapers, I guess, or magazines, but otherwise, you have nothing to occupy your time, right? And a Walkman and only so many cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn, you had a Walkman. I think it was a lot, or maybe it was a CD player and only so many CDs, but <laughs> it was like that. And I think it was a Walkman, honestly. I think it was cassettes because it was 94, 93, 94. Yeah, 94, March of 94. Um, so we get back and Joe calls me up and says, hey, I booked a tour with Tesla and do you want to do it? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do this. So he goes, okay, I'm going to call the rest of the guys and let them know. So he calls me back like a couple hours later and says, Mark doesn't want to do it. Kyle doesn't want to do it. Tig doesn't want to do it. He goes, but you and I want to do it. So let's put a band together and we'll go do it. So there was another band in LA called Hurricane Alice. And they had a drummer named Ray Luzari who plays in corn now. And they had uh, Ian Mayo on bass, who was the kidney thieves. And then Danny Gill, who's like a noted GIT instructor who like runs like the European leg of GIT right now. And so they, they were our, they were our band. And I mean, we played big theaters with Tesla, like lights go down, crowd screams, big theaters, like crazy. So it was like, it was a fun, fun time to get to play with those guys. And, uh, um, it just sucked that those other guys quit, but it was, those guys were great musicians too. So it was, it was a, it was a great experience. You so know, but so just, was this a bang tango tour? Yeah. Yeah. This was bang tango and Tesla. So how, did, how does that work with management? Um, so you, I, that, yeah, you can't put out the record, right? But you still have the name. Um, right. but you, you can't have any product out, I guess is what the contract it, says. So Joe, the singer, just went to the label and said, look, nobody else wants to do the band. I'm willing to keep it going. I'll, I'll, I'll take the mantle on my back as the name of Bang Tango, and that's what we did, you know? Huh. And, and, the, and how were the Tesla dudes? They seem like normal guys from Northern California, right? Awesome guys, yeah. Jeff was really cool. I actually had the same car he had when he was like a teenager. <laughs> at that. I can't remember. Ford Focus or something, and he like tripped out. He's like, "Oh my god!" So he and I hit it off. And Troy is super nice, the drummer, and of course Frank was great. I didn't talk to the bass player that much, but he seemed cool too. He just seemed like very business oriented. He knew what he was doing, and he kind of took care of a lot of that stuff. Did they finish with Modern Day Cowboy every night, which is still an amazing song? They didn't finish with it, but they played it every night. Really? It was, they didn't end with that. That song rules hard. They have a lot of great songs. Yeah, <laughs> I guess first that's true pretty tight it's actually surprising how popular tesla really was in the 90s 
coming at the tail end of like the LA scene. And they weren't an LA band, I know that, but they sort of came at the end there. But they were really popular, like more of like a classic rock vibe, right? Absolutely, yeah. They were just good musicians who wrote good rock songs, and Jeff Keith's a great singer, you know? I mean, Little Susie and, you know, uh, Coming At You Live. They had so many, like, very, like, just cool songs. Um, so, so what what happened now? So you, you do this tour with Tesla, and it and it goes well. You have, like, hired hired guys. Are you in Bang Tango at this point, or are you, like, salaried? What What's happening there? Um. I'm, I've always was kind of salaried in okay. the band, you know. I mean, I, I was a member, but uh, I always like, yeah, they were. It was it was kind of an odd situation. But when I when I was with Joe, I was definitely a member of Bang Tango. So, so we got back from the tour, and and uh, Joe and Kyle reconciled and decided Kyle at least wanted to be back in the band, and Joe thought that'd be great if we have like the bass player. Joe felt like was the signature guy in the band because. Kyle did the did the chili pepper, you know, like mm-hmm. the flea kind of was he had his own style and like even when you look at comments these days, people still talk about Kyle Kyle. You know, like Mark wrote all the songs. Mark it's kind of Mark's band, but Kyle seemed to get a lot of attention. So as soon as Joe and Kyle mended, he was like, Well, I'm gonna call Mark and see if he wants to do it. Mark didn't want to do it, Tig didn't want to do it, so we got some other guys and we hit the road. We got Rob Jones who played in the flies and Dan Aon, who I don't know that he did anything else, but he was great guy, cool guitar player. And we uh, basically broke the band up, put it back together and then got a tour opening up for warrant in LA guns doing theaters. And we hopped in a tour bus and, left for like three months and it was it was a crazy time <laughs> so, so that's definitely like the warrant stories for sure we want to talk about but that's for for a future podcast because i think there's a lot of stuff there that people will find interesting because um janie's story is tragic in a lot of ways but but you and i have talked about him privately and by all accounts he was just a normal good guy and and i think we should Talk about that uh, and some of the fun stuff that happened there. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing but good things to say. So Bang Tango, you were in Bang Tango from when to when then? Uh, 93 to 99. So I was one of, for a while, I was one of the longest members of the band until he got his like members. After, like, so right after I quit the band, he put a band together that stayed together for a long time. Okay. So if you go to the Bang Tango Wikipedia page, you will actually see Mark Tremelge's name. You know how they do those like band members in the timelines? Yeah. So, so you're on Wikipedia. That's pretty cool, Mark. Congratulations. For Little Caesar too. <laughs> oh, that's true. I, we, we should talk about Little Caesar and, and I, there's a lot of stuff to say there too, and we I think we've talked about it a little bit. If if you don't know out there, Mark's in in Little Caesar, and you should definitely check out uh, Little Caesar's most recent record. Uh, I'm not. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it in the future, but my favorite song on that new record actually Mark wrote, and I made him teach me the riff to it because it's pretty pretty cool. <laughs> um all right cool so why don't we uh we'll we'll leave it there for today uh that's a bunch of the bang tango behind the scenes stuff and then and then it'll be fun to get into the the next so 99 so now we're um when was the warrant tour uh that was 96 96. so i did a 
there, basically, I did the tour, the Warren Ellie Guns tour. Then we came back and we did two records. And then we went back out and did uh, the Hard Rock tour, sponsored by Metal Edge magazine, yeah. with uh, Enough's Enough, Bullet Boys, Pretty Boy Floyd, and us. Oh, my God. <laughs> so many, so many questions. So many questions. So, <laughs> so many answers. <laughs> and they didn't wear the famous uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, now I'm talking about. They didn't wear the famous photo costumes right no they, they were they were just wearing their biker gear by that point <laughs> uh, that's yeah. that's a photo i don't think you can you can live down it's impossible to live that photo down it's you, was... do you have any photos like that oh yeah for sure sweet and not only that there that was that was like a time capsule, that picture, because there was like in that era when I moved out here, because that must have been from like 87, early 88. That was when that picture was done. 90% of the guys on the strip look like that. Like, I remember thinking <laughs> all look the same. Like, everybody's got teased hair and makeup and like whatever, you know, whatever the fashion trend at that point is, cowboy boots and spandex or whatever, you know, like right. everybody kind of looked the same. Did you grow your beard during Bang Tango or before? I didn't grow my beard until like 20 years ago. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, cool. All right, we're, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you, Mark, for, for living the life of, of dreams somewhat. What's <laughs> a <laughs> All right, thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. I'll see you.